0: Hey, welcome back to Roadcase everybody. This is your host Josh Rosenberg. I am really psyched to be here for this episode with Scotty Zwang. If you're here on Roadcase for the first time, welcome to the Roadcase community. If you are a returning listener, so psyched to have you back for this one. This is a really great conversation I had with Scotty and thanks for your support. So happy to have you back. There's a number of different ways that you can get involved in the Roadcase community. Really quick and easy way is to follow us on the socials. Really helps out Roadcase. Uh, if you're looking for us on socials, it's at Roadcase Pod on those three big ones: Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Another great easy way to support Roadcase is to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Spotify. That little box that says follow, just hit that. If you're on Apple Podcasts, there's a check mark up in the upper right hand corner. Uh, if you hit that on both those platforms, it'll allow you to receive updates as to when new episodes come live. Really easy way to support Roadcase as well as to rate and review Roadcase on your favorite listening platform on Spotify. It's that little box underneath the follow box with some stars. As easy as hitting that box on Apple Podcasts, scroll up a little bit, you'll see some stars and a place to write a review. That's where you do it. You hit a bunch of stars. And if you can write a brief review, uh, your thoughts really helps out the show to subscribe and rate and review. Thanks so much. Uh, if you'd like to be in touch with us, you can email us at info at roadcasepod.com and to find out more information about the show. You can visit our website, www.roadcasepod.com. Thanks so much for your support and for doing the those little things really helps out the show i'm so glad that you guys are here for this episode with drummer extraordinaire scotty's wang i am so psyched that uh scotty got to stop by on a couple different occasions to chat with me we did this in two parts just a heads up about 20 minutes in we switched it up to part two uh for technical reasons we had to pause after a brief part one but that was really cool because in the interim scotty went on jam cruise so we got a live uh sort of quick and dirty update report from Jam Cruise as well that Scotty had just come off of. So we talk about playing in the sand where Scotty was playing with Moore and Jam Cruise where Scotty was playing with the New Deal. So uh, that's really cool and we get to talk to Scotty a bunch about his own preparation uh, both mentally and physically for shows in general and what that takes to get uh, a drummer on the stage, get him situated and what that all looks like. Uh, We do a lot of kind of um, behind the scenes stuff in this in this interview which is really great but Scotty's down to talk about anything he's just a super affable human and I really liked having him around I've met him a couple times on the road and he's just a uh, just a really good guy very genuine very generous and uh, uh, he's is just a guy that plays with so many different people and that's not there's no question as to why that is the case he's uh, done collaborations that have included members of Umphreys McGee Frank Zappa the mother was adventure Band, Disco Biscuits, Lotus, Soul Live, and Stanley Jordan, among others so this guy really really gets around Uh, he loves to be busy wants to be on the road and uh, just recently moved from Philadelphia to Denver as well so I wish him luck with that move and everything that that entails Um, but we had a really great time chatting he is just a really awesome human and is just coming off the road with another Ghost Light tour uh, at the end of 2022 Ghost Light's recent album The Healing came out in 2020 22 as well it is just absolutely phenomenal and uh you know i can't uh, i can't can't recommend enough uh, go out and listen to some ghost light and there's also an amazing more album that's up on spotify right now it's their set from plane in the sand please go listen to that it's really great stuff and uh and scotty's here to talk about everything with me and really glad that you guys are here uh thanks again for your support of road case so glad you're along for this one and i want to send a special thank you to scotty zwang for being here on this episode of road case and here we go scotty how you doing brother great to see you again man how are you Great. How are you? I'm good. Just, uh, you know, another shitty day in Chicago in January. But that's what it is, man. What's the sun? I don't even know what the sun is like anymore. I think it's above the clouds up there somewhere. But I have no idea. Um, much. I was saying, like, so so great to see you. Like, it's so, we saw and we met at the Lightning Bug Fest, and it's so nice to be able to have someone on the show that I've met IRL, as they say. So <laughs> great to yeah, have you here. Yeah
1: having me on and yeah that was a it was a fun time the the small festivals sometimes can be uh you know you never know what you're getting they're a bit of a mixed Uh bag but a lot of fun
0: yeah what did you like what was kind of the lead up to that um i mean you know just another date on the calendar i know you guys just like flew out rolled up in the big 10 person van or whatever and just like got on stage
1: yeah i mean pretty much i mean there's like pros and cons to the flying into a festival, uh, or any show for that matter. Um, pros being that you get to arrive and you can fly and get there really fast and you don't have to unload all of your gear and then load it back up. Uh, cons mostly of just, you never know what you're going to get, uh, as far as the gear and having to tune it and does it feel comfortable. And especially for me, I'm a little OCD and, uh, did you you not play your
0: own kit? Do you not bring your own kit in? The only
1: gear I really fly with is just my kick pedal, uh, my in-ear stuff, and and my cymbals. Uh, I'm probably going to start flying with my snare drum just to try and keep as much. You know, if, if my feet and my hands for the most part are happy, which most of the time is kick, snare, and hi-hat anyway, then, right. you know, the rest you can kind of mess with. But it's definitely nice to have your own gear, but it's also nice to fly three hours and be somewhere
0: instead of driving 12 hours so (laughs) all right two questions and i'm not a drummer (laughs) so the one question though is just basic like so you know you've already planned out you know that there's going to be a kit there of some that somebody brought a kit of their own yes some like local person like okay so it'll be a it'll be like a contractual thing with the organizer will say we'll have a drum set there for anyone's use
1: Yes, they will. They'll prof- They'll provide backline. So backline is includes the drums. professional term okay. for okay. yeah. Backline yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That the much instruments <laughs> involved. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so and, but but your pedals are very like a personal thing. Like you want to know what that feel is because there's all sorts. Of, it's the spring and the the feedback that you get with your own feet. So you'll bring your kick drum pedal. Will you bring the hi hat pedal too?
1: I won't bring the hi hat pedal. Does In that not matter to as much to you? Eh, yeah, not as much. I mean, hi hat is like typically riding like an o- somewhere between open and closed, yeah. occasionally opening and up and down. Whereas this kick drum pedal is going like pretty much the entire time. You really got you to know, gotta know that playing. thing.
0: You got to have one that you can depend on.
1: Yeah, and you can dial in and get, like, if they provide your exact pedal, it's still not going to be exact. I mean, even with cymbals, if the weight's slightly off, I've had two of the same exact cymbal, and they are night and day from each other. So yeah. I try to bring as much as I can and be realistic. About
0: well, it. the first thing that occurs to me with cymbals like, okay, those are pretty easy to travel with. you probably even carrying them on. What about, like, a snare drum? Do you get, like, consideration that guitarists get? Because I know I've read a lot of people, like, soliloquies that... Artists have talked about touring artists. They're like, they fucked it up and I couldn't check my guitar and they're supposed to let me check my guitar. And it's in like, you know, the travel rules of every airline is supposed to allow you to travel. But a lot of the flight attendants don't know that. And sometimes they refute, they actually tell guitarists, fuck you, you have to check it when they're supposed to let you on with a guitar. So what about a snare drum? Do you check it? What do you do with it? Is it kind of the same thing?
1: I've never flown with a snare drum. What I ah. will say as a, as a drummer who has a background as a tech yeah. like before my ah. professional uh-huh. musician days, um, that it, it's pretty hard to break uh, a drum. And if you're going to break anything, you're going to break a drum head, which yeah. is very replaceable. Okay. Uh, if you break a guitar, it's typically like a headstock or a neck that snaps. That would be bad. And that is not exactly fixable. So, right. right. Um, so I haven't really come into that. Ah. I, I could. Carry so you could on check a snare it. You, you
0: wouldn't be that nervous if you had to.
1: No, I mean I check my symbols. Uh, I, I typically could also check my uh, kick pedal case and whatnot, but it fits in a, an oversized Pelican hard case. So ah, okay. typically I'll check my clothing and I'll bring all the other oh, stuff with yeah, me course, and if right. i if yeah, i'm yeah, shit out yeah. of luck it's that i don't yeah when i was court. doing like
0: podcasts like i went to colorado and did some interviews or even or, or uh you know out to uh, to newport folk you know i'll make sure i i bring the my equipment on on uh you know i carry it on with me so just like okay i might not have all the clothes i want right away but i won't get fucked up for the interviews that i need to do <laughs>
1: yeah exactly <laughs>
0: right right i mean that's kind of the bottom line but drums are not like themselves so the rest these parts that are like that are close contact with your body uh the pedal etc Cymbals need to have that feel i guess that those are a different sound but do not worry about having like a kit. not to get too far into the weeds but like it's not you're playing i always wonder like drummers would sit down and play somebody else's kit. like is that like suboptimal for you
1: it's yeah. I mean,
0: I mean, you wouldn't play with you wouldn't have someone else's kit in your own studio, obviously, and for albums that you record, clearly. Maybe
1: I think the big difference is having the time to, you know, they they call it muscle memory, uh-huh. in that like if you aren't with your instrument or playing a specific song for however long, uh, muscle memory typically will kick in where yeah. you might not remember it immediately but sometimes it takes a second and it's like riding a bike yeah. other times it becomes you know i don't know what i'm doing but my fingers you know or arms feet are yeah. doing exactly what they need to do right. uh so playing someone else's gear is not the biggest thing it comes down to how much time you have to get acclimated to that gotcha. and in festival fly kind of settings you typically don't have much time. Even if you had your own gear, it's sometimes stressful to get everything positioned and sound check within. You know, if you're lucky, an hour.
0: Yeah. Uh, so because like the yeah. positioning and the height and everything and tuning maybe yeah. a little bit or whatever, you got some time to do that, I guess, right? So you'll yeah. so like at a, at a festival like this where you need to jump into someone else's kit, you'll get up there when the first when the other band starts breaking down, you'll get up there, you'll sit up there, you'll just figure everything out and get it dialed as best you can.
1: Exactly. And, you know, depending on the kit, if it's like I'm a a Tama endorsee. So like Uh if it's a Tama kit with Tama hardware, Uh uh, even if it's not mine, I know exactly where everything is. I can dial it in real fast. And I, you know, I, I have the basic, you know, especially just if I got a nice comfortable seat. And I get my seat height positioned properly. Yeah. everything kind of falls second. Yeah, what if someone there. doesn't?
0: What if there's not like a comfortable seat? They call it a throne in drumming, right? A throne, a drum, drum yeah. <laughs> throne. Um, it's
1: it can be it can be pretty bad yeah. and, and uncomfortable. It also depends on how long. Um, you know, I used to have some like sciatic nerve pain that would shoot right. down the back of my leg from not stretching before
0: playing especially uh, once
1: I got into my 30s and I was still just this um in my 20s I could go and just sit on play for hours yeah, and it's Yeah. I remember and, those and, days.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait till you get to be and, 59, brother.
1: <laughs> and more importantly sitting in a van for a long period of time uh, those sorts of things. So, you know, having a really uncomfortable seat and sitting down for hours on end, you know, that pain starts to come back. Uh but thankfully, I don't have it too much anymore. And, and thankfully, uh, backline provided by festivals, I haven't really had anything that's like a plank of wood with no padding. So,
0: yeah, sure. I'm just wondering like, how idiosyncratic that is. You know, I guess you'll figure that out as you get older because you'll probably figure out exactly how idiosyncratic is when you get to be in your 40s. Then you're like, I got to bring my own seat now.
1: <laughs> yeah I- exactly i mean we'll we'll see i'll take it one step at a time yeah yeah we're not
0: gonna go and like project out <laughs> negatively into the future let's not do that but um or you can be like jay cochran who i just had on the show i'm um they're for with illiterate light who just stands up when he when he's drumming that's kind of the thing yep exactly the only guy i know that does that actually you probably you probably know other people that are doing that
1: not nowadays too much the last uh You know, they're like cocktail kits or like sometimes, you know, uh, percussionists at like weddings and stuff will sometimes have a setup like that. It looks aesthetically more pleasing. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, I don't know too many there was this band from the 90s Jellyfish and their lead singer was their drummer and he would stand up and play
0: yeah um, and this is a cool. two piece so Jake is like right up front doing it with, yeah. uh, with Jeff who's playing guitar and bass pedals and it's an interesting vibe and I was talking about their album and I'm like okay so obviously the question is do you sit or do you stand in the studio he's like I gotta fucking stand because I can do different things when I'm sitting that I can't do when I'm standing and I want there to be I don't want there to be some unrealistic representation of what I can do on stage When I'm performing live,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's an it's an it's an interesting vibe. So, uh, along these lines, then traveling, jumping into festivals, and I want to talk about Moore and I want to talk about Ghostlight, whom I love, as you know. I've seen you. I saw you several times last fall on the tour. Um, But I also want to talk about fucking playing in the sand, man. Let's let's get in. Let's get into the sand a little bit. You just came back from playing with Moore, uh, which is your uh, the project with uh, with Tom Hamilton. Um, and, uh, who, which is also amazing. The lot, li- this live from the ballroom album was just it's like, you it's outstanding, man. It's just great. And, Thank you. you know, I told you this one after I saw you at Park West, I love the way you play drums, dude. It's just like, um, God, just. Pocket City, man. You know, and I don't know. There's just like, I'm not a drummer, so it's hard for me to say, but just like organically, like you, 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 you crush it. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate you, that. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, thank you, dude, because you fucking rock the shit. So, uh, <laughs> talk to me, playing in the sand. So, you you fly down there. You, you promised me you'd give me, uh, when we talked about you coming on the show, I'm like, okay, well, let's do it after playing in the sand. You can give me all the updates. So, uh, yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's do that. What was, uh, big picture? What was it like? Love.
1: I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, there's, you know, it's hard to put it into words of just how incredible it was. Um, <laughs> Let's try. <laughs> but uh, I mean, well, for f- first things first, I mean, we're talking about Backline and flying into a, a right, show and right. they, provided, they provided me with a great drum kit and I had plenty of time on the front end of our first night playing but it was the the second night of the festival Uh to kind of open up the shells throw some like cotton balls in there if i wanted for muffling and really fine-tune everything to be as comfortable as possible uh, so that was wonderful. Because, oh, because because
0: place... the backline they'll have a set they'll have a kit behind whatever they had on there that you can pull up Ex- or back or whatever. exactly. They'll be like then, a kit that's devoted to you, so you can get in there and do stuff to it before everything starts, and then come back out exactly before. So I got set. there,
1: okay. I got there like four hours before sound check, so gotcha, that right. I had plenty of time to do what I needed and felt nice and relaxed. I typically like to stretch and meditate and practice on my pad a little bit before going on stage. So, you know, you put all, you don't want to put too much pressure and suck the fun out of it, but yeah. you, you put a lot of pressure, or at least I put a lot of pressure on myself for a performance like this, especially with a band that is so new. You know, we came out of the pandemic essentially as this being our pandemic project Mm -hmm. and, you know, playing in the same San main stage, uh, night two, but night one for us was our third show. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you go from doing no stress whatsoever, limited ticketing for a hundred, 150 people, uh, at a venue that one of your bandmates owns, uh, to all of a sudden, you're playing in front of thousands of people on on Dead and Company's
0: stage. Yeah, so, right. Like, hi, we're back. Like, yeah, <laughs> not to not to not to go back too far on a tangent back in history, but so it had sort of been kind of intertwined with the development of Ghostlight during the pandemic, and you kind of always had you and Tom and 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 the other guys in the band sort of had this like we're gonna do more, but. Right now, Tom's do, Tom and Scotty are doing Ghost Lights, so that's going to happen. And it just well, sort of just it, dovetails as you went along.
1: It kind of was a mixture of the new and the old, especially mm-hmm. for Tom. Um, mm-hmm. So more is essentially... So Tom comes from a band, Brothers Past, yeah. and most people know Brothers Past as Tom and uh, Hamilton and Tom McKee, uh, Rick Lowenberg, and Clay Parnell. But before the 2000s time period that a lot of people know brothers past as it was actually Tom Hamilton, Tom McKee. And then Jim Hamilton, who's Tom's older brother who plays guitar and more, uh, Joe D'Amico who plays bass and more Mm -hmm. and was a and then I forget their original drummer Nick's last name. Mm. But that was Brothers Past from ninety-seven to two thousand. It's funny how the drummers so, forget
0: the other drummers' names. Yeah.
1: I never met him, so or knew him. <laughs> so be hard time, to be fair, dude. that's yeah. one excuse. Uh, so we You know so that guy. That other guy.
0: That other guy. Yeah, so,
1: <laughs> so that's how Tom learned how to really play and improvise and get out and play in clubs and, and uh-huh. really kind of start his career. Uh and when the pandemic hit, Ghostlight was on pause like everyone else cuz we didn't really know uh what this virus was and travel was kind of impossible in the beginning and then we weren't sure if we wanted to travel and venues weren't really open and and everything that everyone kind of knows and thankfully we're we're kind of out of or at least getting to that point where mm. things are recovered. So we Wanted something after three months had passed and we yeah. had nothing, we decided that we would uh start a little project and play these songs that they wrote from ninety seven to two thousand that haven't existed. And uh, since then, we've worked together as a band and how bands, you know, do things. Oh, wow. So to t- Tom kind of just
0: had these in his back pocket for a while and then brought them forward and you guys were playing yeah, them. Yeah, it was, it was so a lot cool. of,
1: you know, the songs that those four guys wrote together. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and you know since then we've worked on new stuff but the improv which we do a lot of improv and it's very out there or, or type 2 if you will yeah. um where we don't follow the chord structure and we get very out there and there's no rules yeah uh they all learned how to do that together this concept of passing the ball around and being right. patient and everyone bringing uh exciting information into the system uh so it was a it was a great experience for all of us yeah i mean that's kind of
0: like that's kind of like your thing man just coming into different projects and and you've been in so many different projects we're talk about all this stuff we're going to get to this um because this is parenthetical to the playing in the sand stuff but yeah it's that whole get in there and lend your amazing expertise to different projects is it I mean, that's not all it is, obviously, but uh, like conceptually big picture, there's a little bit, there's a lot of that that's been going on in your own career. Is that easier? And I don't mean this in any kind of weird way, but like, is that easier for a drummer to do where it's not essentially, it's not notes and scale based? Um, when you're kind of, you're a rhythm guy, you've got the technique, you got the fucking hands, you're a four-handed monster up there. <laughs> like, and so you can just, Jump in and and lend whatever your percussive expertise is, and get into that pocket. And not not that it's easier, but is it like something that drummer like talk about that concept of a drummer jumping in and adding its their, the rhythm to to something?
1: Well, I think it depends on the musicians and the musicianship and uh-huh. where you're and where you're all coming from. Because uh, I've played with some people who are absolutely amazing and they are extremely musically talented they their instrument is an extension of themselves and there's just not that chemistry Um, Mm. so not playing songs and improvising is great and all but there's a different level of will this still work and especially being thrown into a situation where you haven't really played much together so it really varies there's something nice about being someone being like here's an hour's worth of songs and we're mostly going to play the songs and maybe have extended solos Um, and there's other things that are amazing about doing mostly improv and the songs not being as much of the focus uh so it really all depends uh you know i'm thankful that especially in my recent projects with Ghostlight and more that there's a chemistry there and we all are able to get behind it put ego aside and and cater to what's gonna suit the music best
0: All right, Scotty. So let's go back to playing in the sand. Like you must've had some amazing stories that happened there. I mean, apart from the technical stuff and jumping in on the back line and getting all your shit together and the way you want it to be, which is obviously like a massive professional production there of like super high level. What was it like to be there? You know, as we know, dead and co it's their last tour, they're kind of doing their last go around. Um, it must've been really exciting for you to like be in the same spot as the two drummers, the rhythm devils, Bill Kreutzman and Mickey Hart. What was that? What what can you tell us about just being backstage there and what kind of, what feelings did you have when you were at playing in the sand in that environment?
1: It was definitely an honor to be there for sure. Uh, You know, any experience opening up for legends like that is, is an honor and a privilege and you know, gives you all the feelings but especially in a place like mexico on the beach um and the way everything's (laughs) set up for you know people uh on that level so the first day there was like a a artist compound area and that's where Mm -hmm. like the band members have like a general area to all hang out and then they each have like their own rooms um so on that first day coming in it was kind of just open to everyone. Uh, And that's where I got to, you know, I'd already met Mickey and Billy in the past, but I got to kind of reintroduce myself and hang out with Mickey for a minute. Um, And then you kind of see everyone around and family members and just, you know, crew people that you've met over the years, especially people that work for the band. Uh, But after day one, that compound very quickly became just like grateful dead, only, So yeah, you either needed a specific laminate or like the funny thing is when you're at that level, uh, the band members don't need laminates. There's just a photo, a band photo. And it just says, <laughs> this is their laminate, like recognize their faces, like don't stop or bother these people. They're free to do whatever they want. Yeah, um, But like in that general area is also where there's catering. So like people are still kind of in and out. It was like maybe day three or four that I got to meet uh, Jeff was just hanging out. It was funny. There was just a conversation talking about how whenever you run into Jeff, he's always wearing shorts and he's always smoking a cigarette. And <laughs> there he is on the bench wearing shorts, right? In his shorts a and cigarette. A cigarette.
0: Um, but so, do you like just approach the guy, or what? What kind of person are you in that environment? Do you go I, up to someone and be try, like, oh, I got to go say hi to this guy? I
1: try this. to not bother people. But if I do, if it's someone that I really feel like I want to meet or just, like, kind of make my presence known of, like, that I I appreciate that person, I'm usually Mm -hmm. pretty quick about it. I don't want to be too awkward. Um, Yeah. And, you know, who knows what they got going on. They're maybe about to go on stage. It's just, you know, you kind of read each moment as it comes. Um, Yeah. But, like, the bigger thing for me was that, you know, Obviously, John Mayer being in the band, I'm a huge fan of John's drummer. Not only one of his touring drummers, but the guy who's done most of his studio work over the last handful of years, this guy Aaron, mm-hmm. Aaron Sterling. And uh, he was just... Aaron Sterling? Yeah, and he was just uh-huh. hanging out and there all weekend, oh. especially in like the back behind the stage and behind where the artist compound and catering is. There's this other area. Uh, I think it's called like the Amigo area like the amigo pass is like the high level vip pass that they sell Mm -hmm. and this gives people access for that so that they can go they've got their own private bar uh they do like catering and various things there's you know um anirondack chairs and couches and a fire pit and like all this stuff that's like really nicely set up back there so we're just hanging out and there is this conversation with their friends uh talking about drums and space. And (laughs) I found that as my moment to be like, you know, it's all about space, especially as a drummer, you would think that it's like drums. But for me, it's all about space and like that weird zone that comes out of, you know, Mickey playing the beam and all the other people getting up there and like truly uh, improvising from, from scratch, nothing
0: and no rules whatsoever. Because um, right, Billy and Mickey will, will be up there still for space, right? Mostly, I guess a little mi- bit. Mi- I mean, if that's when Mickey's playing the beam yeah, primarily, mi- it's in that kind of weird zone between drums and space. Yeah, and then I feel it's like the of, beam kind a, of, uh, yeah. it's, it's like a, a, um, a jump ball as to where they're going to go after that. I
1: yeah. Think. I sort of feel like the beam section is the transfer from drum uh-huh.
0: drums into space, um, yeah. Wait, but quickly on the beam, when I was, saw them at uh, Wrigley uh, last June, a fucking beam string broke, and those things are literally like an eighth of an inch thick. Yeah. I mean, it's a wonder it didn't like, it could have like ricocheted off. Someone can lose an eye like Oh, that,
1: yeah, for sure. It's like a piano. Anyway,
0: show. so it flies up, and like, it falls on the ground, and O'Teal grabs it, because he was up for space, and, or maybe he just never left the stage, I'm not sure, but- He stays um, up for drums. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he starts. Um. He starts whacking his strings with the beam string, which was just so meta and crazy. It was like really cool. You know. I do I I'm a deadhead, so that was a really fun special moment. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. So yeah. So you're there. They're doing the beam. You're talking to the, all these guys. So about, that was uh, kind of my space. moment
1: to like. I don't need to bother Aaron. I had seen him throughout the week, and then their friends were just talking about it, and I was like, "It's all about space, man." You know, forget drums. Yeah. It's all it's all about. <laughs> and I'm a drummer, and that's how I kind of introduce
0: myself and like get into it.
1: So it's not just this awkward, like, "Hey, I'm a big, I'm a big." Fan yeah, you got to have
0: something to offer, which obviously you do. Yeah, right? I so, mean, uh, so what else did you see? Anything else cool? Like, you guys did more play on a night when Dead and Co were playing, or that was the off night.
1: So it was night one was just Dead and Company, and then uh-huh. and then they have a late night, and then day two was us on the main stage followed by two sets of Goose uh, right. and then a late night. And then the third, fourth day is just dead on the stage. And then the third night we were the late night. Um, oh, gotcha. So they kind of set it up where like when dead and co was playing, no one else is on the main stage. And then they had one day on the main stage. That was us and Goose. Gotcha.
0: So, and the late night is in that little plaza near the the uh, the eating hall area. It's like I think you you were at Moon Moon Palace.
1: That's where the that's where the festival is. It's at yeah. It's at Moon Palace, but yeah. the Moon Palace is set up into three sections. There's like uh, yeah, it's crazy. There's like big. Moon Palace, whatever it is, where the stage is, and then like uh, Nizak, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the grand. So like in the Nizak, like middle section, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Mm. is where this little, um, small, like amphitheater that they create plaza is, Mm -hmm. um, near like a bunch of pools and everything like that.
0: So that's, yeah, I was there for, um, for my morning jacket. One big holiday. Yeah. I think it was moon. I think it was that it was in moon palace. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and it's a nice little kind of outdoor theater, sort of like yeah, set up it's there it's for, the, for really, the after show. Yeah, it
1: was really great. It was super windy during our late night set. So, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, thankfully yeah. how the smoke st-
0: effects are out the
1: window. How the stage was set up uh, wasn't so bad for us on stage, but as soon as you got around the corner, it was just extremely windy. Yeah, uh, um, but yeah, main stage setup was great. I think right. we kind of already briefly talked about it, but the like making sure that I had enough time to set up and get backline mm. all situated was totally fine for that first set. And then they actually were able to... Originally, they were going to bring the same drums over. I was going to use different drums, but uh, I got <sighs> them to bring the same shells that I had already like opened up and put some like yeah. muffling inside of it, like little cotton balls, and closed it up and tuned it. And it was already good to go so it made set up for the late night
0: on day three uh, little cotton balls what do you like stuff that you use to remove your eyeliner and stuff that you use essentially if I
1: wore eyeliner yeah same exact cotton (laughs) balls I like fan them out a little bit so that they're a little wider and anytime you hit the uh, drum they pop up and then they drop back down so it lets the drum sing for a second and then it muffles it
0: uh, a wow. bit. It's just is a little, this like a Scottie's Wang uh, patented secret? I would love to take.
1: Thi- is this a thing? I would love to take credit for it. Uh, I don't think a lot of drummers use it, but
0: uh, I learned of it from this drummer, Benny Grip. Which Which in which drums are you using that? In which shells? In the toms. The toms. Tom toms yeah. only. I mean, I've heard of the pi- the pillow and the bass. Pillow that's and the kick.
1: Standard. Yeah, this is essentially like uh, they're like mini pillows.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that's cool. Um. Wow, that sounds amazing. It must be such a great view uh from the drum riser looking out over the beach and stuff. What a great setting it is. Oh,
1: it was it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's there's there's really nothing better than playing uh on a beach or you know having the luxury to do something like jam cruise when you're in the middle of the ocean. It's just uh yeah. you know, there are uh there are aspects of it that become stressful, especially with wind. When you're in the middle of the sea and it's windy, your cymbals tend to just fly. All over the place, it becomes easy to like right. go to hit a symbol, and it's not where it should necessarily be, and you may oh, miss it, kidding or you okay. hit the well, wrong Unfortunately,
0: you were on dry land for this one. but
1: Yeah, but either shit. way, wind, wind will do that in general, and you sometimes uh, run into that on the all beach right. as well.
0: Well, you're like an eighth of a second off. The deadheads aren't going to really like pound you over that. Yeah, really. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why you do what you do, because you're a fucking perfectionist, man. Are you a perfectionist? You know, you kind of you have to be a little bit, right? I mean, when I play, it doesn't get in your way, I guess.
1: When I'm playing, I try not to be at all. Um, I yeah. try to just be completely like with the flow and clear my mind as much as possible. I have like a big Zen like meditation thing I like yeah. to do before clear my mind a bit. Um, yeah, but about that. ultimately, uh, everything leading up to. And how I set up and do things, I'm very OCD in that sense and Mm. and a perfectionist. But once I'm up there playing, no. I mean, I've learned over the years to not have expectations and to not uh, set my mind on something specific and be upset about it. Like, you're up there to have fun. The reality is is that overthinking, you're not going to accomplish what you want. And most of the time, music fans aren't really paying attention to the minute things that a musician might be. You might think that you had a mess up and no one's ever going to notice it. So why harp on it?
0: Well, I always talk about how great it is in jam band community or any other music community where you're, you're witnessing music live and when a mistake or something happens and the crowd reacts to that, it's kind of that excitement of the crowd. It's, it's that, um, it's that, instant realization the crowd's having that this is really happening i think and it's the appreciation that mistakes can happen and then it's a follow-up of encouragement round of applause like hey let's keep going and that's cool i mean i'm not talking about massive fails just little things that the picky fans will understand especially with the jam band if that thing happens like i don't know also like paul hoffman messing up on the vocals which he does and jokes about constantly with green sky yeah you Um, need to have fun with it it's fun, yeah. I think it's it it, it, it lends to the, the human quality of live performance. And especially in it's so improv. It's so easy to forget from... Yeah. yeah. Sorry?
1: Especially in improv. Like, you're up there oh, yeah, creating yeah. on the spot. I don't think uh, beating yourself up or or your fans are beating you up for, like, missing a thing. It's it's kind of like uh, I'm a big fish fan, probably more so than I am a, a deadhead, especially for oh, okay. many, many more years uh, than mm-hmm. I got into the dead... But mm-hmm. in Bittersweet motel, when Trey's talking about like you know, Mike's giving him shit for a fuck up, or maybe he's talking about his his uh, tour manager, road manager Brad yeah. at the time, but he's like, it has nothing to do with like hitting all of the changes or any of that. It's all about the vibe. so
0: to an extent. That's, that, yeah. that's what a musician says when he's got the fucking vibe down, right? Yeah, it's like, it's not mean, about the mistakes, it's about the vibe. When you're at a level, then you then yeah. that's the beautiful thing. It's sure. You just go with the flow, right? And I'm sure that you can do that, too, from a rhythm perspective. We talked a little bit about how you're in and out of projects and just lending rhythm, but... Um, when you really feel I envy that to really feel that rhythm and be able to create that, to create that vibe like a drummer does. It must be um it must be interesting. You go so far back with that. You started drumming when you were eight years old. Like, yeah. How masochistic were your parents? Fucking ass.
1: <laughs> Thankfully, my dad <laughs> played drums when he was younger. Uh yeah. my parents had just moved into a new house. It was much, much bigger. It had this giant basement. Right. So yeah you know they were they were really supportive they've always been extremely supportive of supportive and the key is having
0: a basement i think is like
1: that's sort of you know, <laughs> it is but when you have a giant and a door
0: and a door to the basement, when you have a
1: giant concrete unfinished basement it still just goes straight up above the yeah, ceiling and the floor still, of the next yeah. level so it's still yeah, loud yeah, in yeah. the house believe me you have to put a yeah. lot of sound dampening and stuff to make it happen
0: <laughs> yeah so they, they were supportive your dad your parents were cool obviously they got you a kit you didn't go out and buy it yourself
1: yeah um yeah i definitely (laughs) i i did not have to work too hard to get a drum kit i think it was just kind of mentioned in passing at one point i showed interest and it was around the same time you pick an instrument in school and uh my parents were cool enough to buy me a drum kit and then for my you know Barmint, so when I turned thirteen, they got me a, mm. a, a real like nice drum kit and then nice. and then from that moment, I was you know I was kind of on my own at that point when I wanted to buy gear
0: <laughs> yeah, so you were messing around from when you were just a little kid I mean eight years old you're like in fourth grade or third grade or something yeah. um what was what was it at that point what were you listening to like what was it that drew you to the drums?
1: Uh, I've talked about it before, but oddly enough. Uh, it was, I mean, music that I listened to, to my, you know, my parents listened to, which a lot of it was the Allman Brothers, Steely Dan, yeah. a lot of the Motown stuff. And I guess I was just connected to the drums and, and rhythm uh-huh. in general. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it was shortly after that or around the same time. It's slightly embarrassing. But uh, there <laughs> was... I had an older sister who was really into... The boy bands of the time, the Insyncs uh-huh. and Backstreet Boys, and Insync did a
0: pay-per-view special. Why'd you do air quotes when you said I had a sister that was? No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: and uh, and watching the watching the concert, it was the first realization that there was a live band doing this. It wasn't just the singers that are at performances performing to a backing track or a DJ yeah. that's playing all of it. And it was that realization of just like what a big production could be like that was something that i was like i want to be a drummer and be able to play for big productions like that um but to answer your original question the the music that i was really into in the early years that got me playing drums was Mm -hmm. um definitely 311 and incubus and a lot of those uh new metal funk-ish kind of bands of the late 90s. Um, yeah. All the grunge stuff that came before or evolved out of it. So like Foo Fighters and then obviously what evolved from that Nirvana and Soundgarden and you know uh, Stone Temple Pilots. A lot yeah. of the music that I still love today and listen to all the time were CDs that I stole from my sister when she was getting into pop music. So it was a lot of like Bush, uh Sixteen Stones, I think is the name the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Stone Temple Pilots Purple, uh 311 self-titled, um, all yeah. of that stuff. When like MTV as well, like nine inch nails, huge influence. Mm-hmm. Trent's one of my my all-time favorites. Um, so a lot of that stuff and heavier music. But my dad listened to the Allman Brothers and Steely Dan and was a guitarist who read Guitar Player Magazine and heard about Trey Anastasio in the early 90s. So, listening yeah. to by 95, 96, I had already listened to Hoist, Rift, Picture of Nectar, all of my favorite and like the, you know, arguably best or most classic fish records. Um, yeah. And then by, like, 99 or so is when I started to shift more into uh, the jam band scene. I guess, like, Farmhouse was my first Fish record that I purchased. Um, yeah. You know... What is it
0: you like? What What is your... Give me your take on John Fishman and why he's important to you. He
1: is arguably one of the more creative drummers, uh, definitely in our scene, but maybe just in music in general... Um, mm. this might go over a lot of people's heads, but uh, syncopated rhythms that are done uh, independently, each limb doing something different. Take a song like "Taste," which has every single limb. Uh, well, each band member is playing in a different time signature. And then you have John Fishman, who each limb is playing in a different time signature. No shit. And man. it's wow. it's one of those things like, sure, you know, some people have problems like patting their head and rubbing their belly yeah. at the same time. Right. Try right. like
0: doing two other things. Patting your belly, rubbing your belly, kicking something and tapping your other foot something like, like that. Yeah.
1: yeah, so that's the track that in my opinion, if, if someone were like, "Hey, I'm going to do a fish tribute thing, are there any songs that we shouldn't play?" <laughs> that that would be the song that uh that I would
0: be like, "Yeah, we we might want to avoid that." Uh still work still working on, do you work on doing that? Or is that just sort of like the goal? I
1: probably there? should work on it, but most of the stuff that I play, you know, I don't really sit and practice that kind of music too much. Um, mm-hmm. I actually don't listen to too much of it in general these days unless like I'm going to see them live just because I, I want to try and avoid the influence of sounding like John Fishman on stage, which yeah, was right? something that I did right. a lot
0: in my early years. How do you maintain like your own style? Um.
1: I think it's just listening to a bunch of well-rounded music and not just sticking to one genre or, mm. you know, or even just one style of playing, you know, yeah. if you listen to fish all the time or you listen to the dead all the time. With, yeah. You're going to sound like John or you're going to sound like Billy or I would say Mickey, but more likely Billy. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know. I I think it's, I pride myself on listening to so much different kind of music from hip hop and R and B to different kinds of rock and roll, whether it be progressive rock and fusion stuff, uh, more of like the modern jazz that's coming out with drummers like Mark Juliana. And I, I had mentioned Benny Greb and, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a bit of a drum nerd.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can tell that. So, I. That's a good thing, especially if you're a drummer, man.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: But it's funny. I
1: joke about this all the time with my girlfriend that like, you'd think as a drummer that I would listen to stuff and air drum a lot, but I'm usually like yeah. guitar or, or bass air. Because you
0: don't air what you can do. I guess. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's in their car just air drumming Neil Pert because who can do Neil Pert? Yeah. You know? you know. Exactly. You probably can. Ru- but, actually, I mean, Rush is
1: yeah. a, a huge
0: influence on me a lot of that
1: uh time period of stuff i know this some of this comes before rush but uh the jethro tulls of the world and Uh yes and and all of the prog
0: rock of the late you're mentioning all the bands that i actually saw in the 70s oh amazing i'm so (laughs) so jealous yes and rush and tall i think i saw tall on that remember the album a but they were just dressed. They totally did like a rebrand remake, I think. And I'm just talking off the top of my head with tall because I haven't really looked at it in a while. But um, they came out in like they were doing white jumpsuits, and they were all just prominent with an A on it. <laughs> and they had a violin in it also. It was just it was bonkers. I'm more was of a, bonkers. A, I think a minstrel in the gallery. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That time, time was period that. Of This stuff, was like 80, yeah. like yeah. starting the 80s, and like Ian Anderson was just going off on his like creative. Uh, you know, orbits and whatever he was going to do. It was, it was good stuff. Saw Rush too at the time, but um, yeah. Like, who doesn't? Who's not an admirer of Neil Peart? Like, what drummer doesn't think that he's one of the greatest drummers of all time?
1: In my teenage years, early twenties, I used to hate on the fact that everyone would always be like, "He's the greatest drummer ever," and it was one of these like, "I'm gonna fight against it" things. But it was by yeah. my mid to late. 20s that it like fully hit me that like he's at the very least it's hard to argue a drummer who's more um inspirational uh in the drum world than neil Peart and has gotten more people to want to learn the instrument than him i would say there's maybe only a handful of of drummers that you can lump into that group maybe ahead of him
0: so, um. you know, you you know, way your knowledge of drummers is far more encyclopedic than mine. But what I do love about Neil Peart is that it's such an upfront instrument. You know, they, they are a trio, obviously. That it's it's not only rhythm keeping, but it's almost like a um like a front a front line part of the band yeah he's, he's very he's creating his own statements that are intrinsically part of those songs in a way and obviously many many bands operate in that fashion also um you know who doesn't can't recall like a great drum beat from one of their favorite songs but it feels like neil's just out front on just about everything and becomes a part of the signature of every song that they do
1: yeah i couldn't does that that make sense
0: i mean i think that's kind of a common statement with drummers but with him i feel like it's it's such a strong part of what what they do what rush is all about does that make sense yeah
1: he i mean he said it best um in interviews especially on like their their documentary which i highly recommend watching if you haven't seen it um mm-hmm. where he talks about that like he thought long and hard about what fits that song perfectly what's going to be the best and most musical like a lot of people don't think of the drums as a musical or melodic instrument cuz yeah, most yeah. of the time it's not but he put a lot of effort into that so that every time he plays those songs he never gets bored of playing them it's the perfect part even from a uh a simpler version of like take a lot of people give Ringo shit as like, Oh, mm. he's he's not the the best drummer or he's not a great drummer, but it's like, Can you imagine a Beatles song with any other drum part? No. Like that's what right, was meant right. for the song. He did a great job at doing what he's supposed to do, which is catering to what the song actually needs, not just showing off and trying to be the most technical uh
0: almost like Charlie Watts ish and that's Exactly.
1: Sense. Same same exact deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for a non drummer to appreciate that love. Charlie Watts, I kind of appreciate a little bit more because he's got a little bit more of that swing for me. And it's just the stones kind of rock a little bit harder Mm -hmm. for me. Um, It's hard to appreciate completely what Ringo does. And I might sound like an idiot for saying that. I don't know. But No, to each his own. He's like a drummer's drummer.
1: Yeah, to each his own. Everyone, when I was younger, another thing to fight against. I don't
0: don't mean to say that I don't appreciate it. Oh, no, yeah. I wish that I had the drumming expertise to appreciate it even further. Yeah, for sure. Which I know many people do. Like, is it what you're saying?
1: Yeah, and I used to fight against the grain when the classic question of, like, Beatles or Stones, and I'd always say, the the who.
0: Fuck you. Like, it depends what you're listening to on the day.
1: Yeah, I would always say the who, though, because for me, it was always Keith Moon.
0: You know, <laughs> oh my god, I saw um, who's the drummer for Jane's Addiction? Um, Steve Perkins, oh my god, I saw him on YouTube. They just had him in a drum store, so it was a really casual video, but pro shot, mm-hmm. uh, probably just on an iPhone of him doing um, uh, Who Are You? Yeah, um, I need I'll send you this uh link, it was really insane and remarkable. And if anyone ever, if you ever forget. The physicality of what it takes to perform a Keith Moon song, a Who song, um, and how easy Keith makes it look. You need to not, not, I'm not saying that Stephen makes it look hard, but it's so incredibly physical.
1: Yeah. I mean, he did it. um, I wonder if it's from the documentary that he had a big part in that just came out. Oh, the Count Me In. Yeah. Um, Because he does it in that as well. No,
0: it was not in Count Me In, but I think I was just hitting up drummers one on youtube and it and that particular one came up i'll send it to you oh nice it was really um really cool yeah he's really amazing count me in was really cool i need to go back to it um uh i loved that documentary you you would you do you remember anything about it in particular
1: uh i mean it's just interesting just to, to see all of the the people involved in it, but I watch a lot of them, so I might get some confused. Mm. But like, you know, interviewing yeah. people like Kenny Arnolf, um, who played mm. with John Mellencamp, is how he got famous. He's the big solo. In uh, was he the
0: guy that came in and talked about his audition for a song, and he's like, "I got ten seconds to walk to behind the drum kit. That's the and exact going to make or break my motherfucking career. That's
1: the exact part. But I can't remember <laughs> if it's in that or there's a documentary called. Um, I'm forgetting, but it's about um, like paid for hiring musicians, essentially. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I forget the title of it also. But Um, that was a really great one. Yeah. I can't remember if it was in that That one. That was a really great one. The one we can't remember. It really made an impression on us. No, I remember that one. That the side, something about sidemen and drummers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The whole, yeah. Oh my God. I think it was in that one that there was an incredible story about Randy, the Randy Rhodes crew. And yes. What happened that exactly. morning. Exactly. It's the same exact. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh my God. I get goosebumps thinking about that, that they just woke up one morning and like to a disaster and a horrible tragedy. But um, yeah, I talked about being part of that band and what that meant and, you know, you don't really put together like a side hired story. gun. Like it's called
1: hired, hired gun. gun. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: I love how the brain works like that. Uh, if you just kind of think off to the side, it always comes to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that 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 intensity of being a side man and just knowing that your job is kind of you don't have job security. Yeah. Have you do you have you have you have you, you've been in a lot of different projects, I've, Scotty? Have you have you felt like that
1: all the time? I believe uh,
0: <laughs> it was like. Are you feeling like that right now, though? You know,
1: it happens. It's I, I have mo. I probably have a moment at least once a year, if not twice a year, like every six months, mm-hmm. where I start to freak out that I'm not working enough and I and I need to be doing more. Um, and it's in those moments where like I get flooded with a bunch of stuff. Um, but I, I talked with Mark Brownstein from the disco biscuits about this like uh-huh, yeah maybe i don't know i, I want to say about six or seven years ago it was right after i uh got the boot from dopapod and they brought neil back and mm-hmm. i was doing a bunch of stuff it was before ghost light formed so it was in that like 2016 17 time period yeah. and um truly he, a limbo period yeah and he was like no matter where you are in your career or how old you are, he's like, at least from what I can speak of my experience, he's like, that's always going to be there. It's just something you have to get used to dealing with. And I think it depends on who you well, yeah, are. Well, so yes, as a
0: guy that's in, been in a band for 23 years. I, I don't know Mark Brownstein. I, I'm just kind of half joking. But it's different if you, if, you, if you come up in a band. You're a different brand of creative artist.
1: Yes, I agree. I think once you're in, and not to like, you know, they're obviously bigger bands and legacy acts, you know, than the Disco Biscuits or, or bands within our scene outside of the Fishes and the Grateful Deads of the world. But, mm-hmm. you know, until you get to that point, there's always going to be the, like, you have to enjoy this while you can because it can end at any any moment.
0: So, yeah. How do you battle against that? Like, how do you just kind of stay zen about what you're doing? I sort of, from where I'm sitting, I see you in a great position right now, uh, kind of firing up back a little bit back with um, uh, with more and um, uh, with uh, with Ghostlight. All right, I'm I'm sort of I'm blanking on who you played. <laughs> There's so many bands, so I don't know. Jm Cruz, just tell me. <laughs> right oh, now. I, I, I played with the, the New Deal. Okay. The New Deal. So no, I see you in a particular fruitful moment right now with Moore and Ghostlight and having played Jam Cruise with The New Deal. And um, are you feeling, how are you feeling about your career right now? Not to just go massive big picture and shit, but it's like, I feel it's coming up.
1: I feel great about it. I mean, we talk about bands that influenced, and I mentioned like in 1999 where things kind of shifted to the jam band scene of things. And the first mm-hmm. band that really did that for me was the new deal. I've been listening to them for 22 years. Nice. So to be, you know, at least asked to sub in and play if not like in the band for however many shows or however long of a yeah. moment is a, a true truly an honor and and goes to show you how much just hard work and just continuing the grind that, you know, it can pay off. That said, I think my biggest struggle is that I do view myself and enjoy being a working musician, a a hired gun, if you will. Yeah. Um, And a lot of times people see that like, oh, he's doing stuff. He's busy. He's got Ghostlight and more and the New Deal. um, You know, I he's doing just fine and and doesn't need any work. And where I sit is that like, I want as much work and to be as busy as possible. I don't want to take away from, from everyone. I want everyone to share in that, you know, excitement and glory of being able to go on the road and play music, especially Mm. with some of your favorite musicians. But, um, you know, I just, my biggest thing right now is reminding people that like, I just, I want to be working and playing as much as possible. And, uh, you know, right now I find a good balance of it. I don't want to be on the road, you know, 200 days out of the, or plus out of the year like I used to be. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to be able to play with as many people as possible. I like to try different things and play different genres of music. So my biggest thing right now is just trying to figure out how to do stuff outside of the jam world, because I'm always going to need to be an uh, improvisational artist, and I find that the jam band culture is, is perfect for that. But it would be nice to have a little more experience in an like, uh, arena, big touring kind of situation. Uh, I don't know how I would feel playing the same 60 to 90-minute show every single night. Um, it might get yeah. boring really, really fast, but I want to have a, a well rounded, uh, you know, just experience doing that. Resu- yeah. Resume. So, what's,
0: um, if that's a goal of yours, how would you go about achieving that? Playing in an arena. I think it ultimately still. You're a goal. You're a goal guy because you've wanted to play arenas since you were 13. I've had the you, privilege. Uh, to let me do just. It a I want to say this before we don't get. I, I want to interrupt you quickly, sure. Before we get too deep, but your bar mitzvah picture when people <laughs> come into the bar mitzvahs, no one's been there, uh, and you know, typically the 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 bar mitzvah boy or bar mitzvah girl will have like a picture of some funny thing on an easel that you can sign. It's the that you can sign when guests arrive. Yes. Right. So typically it's like analogous to the wedding book where you like the guest book or whatever the hell that's called exactly um yours was your Cute thirteen-year-old face plastered on the cover of Modern Drummer magazine. So I just I extra he- that was the, so you've wanted to do this. The point here is that you've wanted to do this yeah, for a long
1: time. And extra heady points for the fact that it's my face plastered on John Fishman's body from his cover. <laughs> oh, I did not know his that. cover that yeah. time period. It's also it's out there on the internet because. I thought it would yeah. be funny when I finally made it into Modern Drummer magazine if I had that you posted a photo. that. Yeah. So it's, it's right, 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 right. So
0: you've wanted to do this for a long time. So yeah. how are you getting up there and doing an arena show? So let's put that energy out there into the universe so that I can come see you at Madison Square Garden. That would be
1: a dream as a as a New Yorker. That's the ultimate goal for me. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how do you? What What are the pieces? What are the pieces of that puzzle for you? Just. Talk to me about what you're. What you, how, how do you achieve that goal?
1: It's honestly continuing to just play with as many people as possible. It, it there is a level of obviously you need to have talent in this industry, but more importantly, arguably, uh, it really is about your personality and the connections that you have that mm. that get you there. Um, doing those sorts of things most of the time, especially these days, they're not just like open auditions. You normally need to know a manager or a musician that's already in the band, most likely their their musical director. Um, So it's just continuing to work and put it out there and being calm and relaxed about it. You know, if you're the kind of person similar to meeting, you know, people that you look up to, if you're like pushy and kind of awkward about it, you know, are they really going to want to spend a year of their time, if not multiple years, uh, stuck, right. stuck in a tour bus or whatever with you um, and the answer is probably no so it really does come down to just being you know uh, I guess humble about it would be maybe the right word but like you really just want to be the kind of person who's easy to be around and also let your natural
0: abilities on your instrument do most of the talking and you're describing yourself, so oh well, thank there's people you. People <laughs> out there that are like, you know, looking for a great dude to hang around, and I can attest to that as well. Man, I, I I love your energy. It was great. It was it was fun, and I can see that. Like you like to have that fun, a good energy, but you're also extremely focused. I've seen you backstage at a show, and man, you, and you, um, you know, when you turn the switch on, it's on.
1: Yeah, you, know? um, you need yeah, to. You, you know, just, we talk about changeovers and setup for all that stuff. And sometimes it doesn't allow for it, but there's nothing that I enjoy less than like a band's getting off the stage and then you have to get on and set up and then you got to get a line check. If you're lucky, maybe you get to play a song, but most likely just is everything coming through and you could hear it enough so that if you need more during the set, you can let your sound guy know or sound person know. Um, and And... there's nothing worse for me than like doing all of that. And then immediately having to go and just play the set. I normally like to like breathe a little bit and focus and clear, like all of that nervous energy for me, it's not nervous energy of playing the show for people. It's the like, is everything working? And it's like the cortisol running through your body at that fight or flight instinct almost. (sighs) And it's just, it doesn't tend, uh, to it, it's just not a it's not a good vibe to just go straight from that right into playing music especially improv uh improvisation where like you're supposed to just be listening to everyone and you know right. if you're on edge it's really hard to do that and kind of comes off a little bit in your music huh interesting
0: so since the um since the first time we talked, we you uh and since playing in the sand happened, and then we kind of reconvene here a couple weeks later, but you've been on Jam Cruise. Yes. So just to give a little bit of timing context on that, do you wanna uh and you you were on, on Jam Cruise with the New Deal, and there were just so many artists at Jam Cruise. I mean, it was bonkers. Everyone from Humphreys to Lettuce to Andy Frasco, Neil Francis, George Porter Jr. I mean, just like so many. And I'm I know I'm I'm not doing that justice. That was not meant to be the complete list, but those were some names that just stood out to me. No, those are great uh, just, great list of people. Just just to mention a few. Um tell me a little bit about what that was that what that was like. Give us a little bit of a report from the field and jam crews. Like I'm I'm super curious, is like just to get it started, like how do you show up at this thing? Do you do you um are you on the boat the whole time or do you just um, do you do they helicopter you in no. or you know, I mean, what what does it actually look like to be an artist on Jam Cruise and show up and do your gig and you all that great stuff? F-
1: you fly into Miami to my understanding, it always leaves from the port in Miami um, and then every year there are different stops and locations that you can get off the boat, enjoy a little time to maybe get rid of those sea legs, although it kind of just sticks with you for the whole time, if
0: not a few days oh, after a, the boat. Um yeah it depends a slow gentle motion of something yeah it's it not supposed to be moving you feel it's like weird like all the it's got to be especially weird Larry, i don't want to go down the weeds on this but on a luxury boat like it's like everything that looks like it's just like a hotel and yeah, then it's sort of gently moving that's got to be weird yeah
1: it's it's definitely interesting to, but yeah, um yeah, anyway you get on and most artists are on the boat the whole time um I think when I did it in 2020 with Ghost Light was the longest they ever did. It was seven days, but mm-hmm. it's typically like five or s- this year it was six days. Right. Um, so you leave and then you have a day at sea and then you have a day where you wake up and you're at port, whatever that location is. And then right. you leave and then you have a day at sea.
0: And, so you're basically you know. on the cruise the whole time as just a cruiser. The whole
1: time. Se- there, there are some artists on the front end that get on the boat and are on the boat for a couple days. And then when you get to right. your first destination, they hop off the boat. And then yeah. there are some artists on the back end that, when you get to a destination, they hop on the boat. And then when you mm-hmm. get docked again in Miami, they get off the boat. Uh, mostly headliners. It's a little bit of a process, especially like flying into. You know, Turks and Caicos, or flying into Dominican Republic, or wh- yeah. wherever it might be, it's a little bit more um, tedious than you would imagine. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. But so you're just like on the boat, and are like artists. Like, is there mixing between the 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 fans? Oh and yeah, people. Oh. You know, you're just like eating with everybody, and you're hanging out, hundred percent, talking to people. It's
1: why a, a lot of artists do have they like let me get the first two or three days or let me get the last two or three days because it can be a little overwhelming. Um, I bet, I bet you're all eating in the same area. And realistically, the only place of solitude that you have is your cabin. And it's not that big or luxurious. I mean, they're definitely really nice. I'm not complaining about it. Um, I didn't have an issue with it at all. Um, There was, but it's
0: small, it's not massive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, square yeah, foot yeah. wise, I mean, I would be surprised if it's more than a 150 square feet. I don't sure, know, I'm, ba- sure, I'm bad at yeah. that sort of stuff.
0: That's kind of what you sign up for, there. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's great, and you know, you can eat or drink at any point you want for the most part, and there's yeah. realistically music from noon until you know, six or seven in the morning. Right. Uh, So it's nonstop. And I think that's the thing, especially, you know, uh, we talk a lot. I did a panel in 2020 talking about, you know, trying to stay healthy on the road and what you do and Backline, uh, which is a lovely organization. I love that raises money and mm-hmm. awareness for. Yeah, the Hillary result. Gleason,
0: the 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 chief of backline. Exactly. On show.
1: So Hillary was on the boat, and they did another panel this year specifically for backline, and they have oh, her and um, one of the wellness specialists that's on the boat who does mm-hmm. um you know some stuff throughout there where she talks to various people and just she was who ran the panel when I did it in 2020 and then they had artists yeah. like Mark Brownstein and Andy Frasco and Mimi. I forget her last name from fruition Nadia. and you know, Mimi is, you know, recently. Mimi Nadja of, yes. um fruition. Yeah. And, and yeah. she's recently, um, Sober, you know, or at least, like, she no longer Mm -hmm. drinks alcohol. So, like, they talk about various things in that, especially on the boat. And it can be tough, especially for people that struggle with alcohol or substances, to be stuck on a boat uh, surrounded by people, especially as a musician. You're surrounded by fans, and there's not much to do. You can fall into... So, like, it's not for everyone, per se. But that said it's, you know, it's like jazz fest on a boat. In fact, I think that was initially the idea for it. Was it? Okay. Where you just, everyone's in this little area, or little area, but you're on this giant boat, and there's all these different venues, and you can walk from venue to venue, and you can constantly see music, and then you can go eat some food or grab a drink, and they have other activities as well, especially when you get off the boat, um, which is always nice. I mean... The first day that you get off the boat was Dominican Republic, and that was the first day that I was actually able to rehearse with the New Deal before our second set. The first show, there was no... You know, I, I've been listening to these guys for 22 years, but we'd never played together until note one of our first set, night one oh, of Champions. shit!
0: All right, let's talk about that from your OCD uh, level. Yeah. I mean... So, so you knew all their songs and you're coming in. how did you um how did you connect up with these guys? This must have been a dream come true for you to play with a, a band that you'd been listening to for so long.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty amazing. Um, they started doing shows again uh, about a year and a half or so, uh, you know, mm-hmm. after the pandemic started and things were opening up. And they have the amazing, talented, great friend uh, Mike Greenfield playing drums with them. And yeah. they were at Brooklyn Bowl in Philly here. And uh, I stage manage there sometimes when I'm not on the road. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I'm moving to Denver, so uh, this is
0: my last week there. Um, oh, you are. Oh, oh. But uh, you. Oh, thank you. But uh, they. Is that where are your girlfriends from? Uh, that's where we is had that, met that, and lived for a are while. You guys moving together?
1: Yeah. I mean, we live together now in Philly. So. Oh, cool. You're uh, making the move
0: to Denver. Hence the 1111 shirt. Okay, yeah, good branding. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they were there and I know their manager very well. And I just said, you know, if they were ever in a bind and needed a drummer that, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not trying to take anyone's gig, but if it came down to yeah. we need a drummer and don't have someone, I would love the opportunity. And I thought nothing of it. And I was packing for playing in the sand and I got a phone call, and it was uh, their manager, Mike Polans. He's just like, "Do you want to play with the New Deal in three weeks on Jam Cruise?" And it was it mm-hmm. was honestly as simple as that. And I did not have to think nice. long and hard at all about it. It was a, an immediate right. yes, <laughs> and uh, and then went from there. And yeah, so you so, get on the boat. So
0: what happened to what happened to your guy? Their their drummer?
1: Uh, he he plays in Lotus, and Lotus has been on tour. So, ah okay. um, that's his main gig, and which
0: like the conflicts they've just hen- prior to that they basically had avoided, but this one was just kind of an unavoidable conflict, so he couldn't be there
1: yeah they they don't play that much, and then uh-huh. at this point, you know, they kind of made a resurgence after years away from playing and touring uh in uh-huh. in twenty nineteen, and they were starting to get that momentum again, and then the whole world shut yeah. down. So, when they came back and they needed a drummer, they only had a few shows on the books and they had asked Greenfield to do it. So, um, which is great. He's, you know, been a big staple drummer in the Jamtronica community for a while. So,
0: right. So, we talked about like technically jumping into a festival and um, all the stuff that you that are some of the variables that you deal with. How was that on Jam Cruise from your perspective? Just hopping in. The most chaotic.
1: That it's ever been. Um, Really? You have a 45-minute changeover. There's no risers to build on or anything like that. So you have 45 minutes to get the previous band off. You set up mics and stuff in place, get your monitors and everything situated, and you just go for it. So the band before (laughs) us was Lettuce, who extremely talented amazing Fucking group of guys them. oh my god I, I had uh,
0: i had jesus i had jesus on the show oh nice yeah so yeah he's amazing so
1: amazing but a lot of gear you know it took yeah. it took probably about 25 minutes maybe 20 minutes to get all their stuff uh-huh. on for us to then get situated and in place we actually ended up starting uh ten minutes late and-, and it's
0: not like a big enough stage there so that his, that person's drums can be on the riser a ri- like a wheeled riser or whatever it is exactly just to, move it to the side and the it's all built it's it's broken down and then the new ones built up in the same place.
1: Pretty much I recall in previous years that they had that set up, but also like they crane everything onto the boat and set everything up. In previous years they've had holy ship um before and they share the same uh production for the most part. Um so there's already like oh, that's a the name of the,
0: that's the name of the production company for jam for uh, cruises is holy ship. No, it was just an
1: electronic uh festival. So it was um so like Cloud Nine is the production company gotcha. that throws oh, right, right, right. jam yeah, cruise yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh the holidays stuff and and some other uh-huh. festivals in Mexico. Um yeah. they kind of work together so that they have the same boat. And that they have the same staging and for the most part the same production. They might have to swap out some speakers or whatever it might be. But a lot of the same stuff is there. This year was not the case. In fact, they started like... They were still setting up as people were boarding the ship. And like things start like 45 minutes late. And they kind of have to like move things around or make up some time here or there. Right. Um, so, you know, everyone's kind of... So it was kinda, super
0: chaotic. He had like 20, 25 minutes to break down and then you you, you built up an other kit from... I used, stuff there, were using I used there. the
1: kit that was already up there but you take off the symbols. I use the snare. I got
0: to tune some right. things a little differently. So you were using the same kit but it still took the uh lettuce 25 minutes to like you got to remove clear the deck you for got, you
1: you got to remove an organ with a leslie a rhodes like a full-size Rhodes suitcase and all the synthesizers <laughs> or whatever you've got yeah uh bass amps and guitar amps and all of yeah. this stuff cabling okay, so why needs to go. Well, if,
0: it, if it's if it's kind of ordinary if you if it's something that's done all the time why was it chaotic
1: uh because i need to get the drum kit in the right spot it's no longer you know you have to find placement of where things are um, yeah. we have our entire keyboard world that needs to go up you need to like plug all the patch cables in to make sure everything is ran to the right spot um, okay. it's just it becomes you know Kind of what it is. At the very least, it's going to take 20, 25 minutes to get things off and on. And then you're still only left with 20 minutes to like line check and make sure that everyone can hear you. Is each
0: that other. more chaotic than normal? Or you usually get to take a, a whack at this before the end of the prior set, is what you're saying?
1: It depends. I mean, I would honestly say most festivals kind of have somewhere between a half an hour and an hour changeover. Um, so. It's about the same. It's just you only have so much space, you know. You can only fit such a, you know, big stage or little stage on the pool deck of a cruise ship. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not like you have a festival where you have this big open field and you can build like extra wing space or you yeah. can build a drum set off on the side off the stage and then load things up cuz off the stage is general area for the most part um and anything that's not you have all the dead cases of all of the gear so yeah. you know it's it's a lot um that said once you get going everything's there and it felt absolutely amazing everyone's excited and dancing i'm you know yeah. sitting in playing with this band that you know and playing these songs that must that have been amazing I, I practiced for, you. for yeah. you
0: personally it must have been crazy
1: yeah, i played in that same you know parents cement basement uh you know i used to blast these songs and play to the cd and now uh i get to do that's like a fucking
0: dream come true was it or was it not no it was absolutely a dream come true god damn that's awesome i'm psyched i'm psyched for you that that fucking happened like that thanks yeah it was wonderful
1: I might not and sound so, like it. I'm trying to keep myself grounded a little bit, but yeah, it was definitely
0: one of the oh, better. Well, let's ex- unground you. <laughs> let's untether you to the excitement, man. Let's feel it. You were on the stage, like outdoor, like it was an outdoor stage, like on the outside deck. Is that yeah? Or so or the it first like inc-
1: the first show we did was on the pool deck, which is like the uh-huh. the main stage. That's gotta be a blast. We yeah. were talking
0: about wind and shit before in the elements. Exactly, that was that. the thing.
1: Before I even go up, I'm watching Deitch play, and like his cymbals are just blowing. <laughs> everywhere in whatever which direction which is you know fine you might miss a hit more importantly there's different tones you get depending on how you hit a symbol and when a symbol is moving it adds all these variables of like how am i gonna hit this so that it sounds the way it's supposed to sound um so and you know just putting a lot of pressure on myself you know a healthy amount it wasn't anything you know, we're like, I'm not going to enjoy and relish in this experience, but... Totally. Um, but yeah, you know, you're just kind of... I get myself amped up and ready, and you want to make sure you hear each other. You know, Jamie Shields, the keyboardist for the New Deal, and Dan Kurtz, the bass player, all their stuff uh-huh. is direct in. I'm not working off of stage sound. The only stage sound is the drum kit, and we're all on in-ears. So if if something's mm-hmm. not working you're going to know. So you want to make sure that you can hear everything good. And thankfully we had talkback microphones just going to in-ears. So if like a big build or a change to this, or we're going to go into this song happens, um, we can kind of talk to each other on stage, which is a luxury right. that's not a lot of yeah, bands yeah, yeah. have. And if they do, it's also like it's kind of developed over the last decade or two, you know, at most that that bands have kind of been doing that. And in that same realm, I can talk to the monitor engineer to be like, "Hey, I need more of that keyboard." You know, I don't have to. Y- so you're
0: saying it's more. Yeah, I get that. It's, so you're saying it's like more. Uh, more or less precise because you said if if there's something the other band members are going to hear it, well, if you're not using in-ears and you're just using wedge monitors or just on-stage monitoring sa- ambient sound, then, how, I, I mean, I understand how in-ears can be way far more precise, but... What are what are you saying that it's not precise when you're not using in Oh no, it's sound? it's amazing,
1: but when you have stage sound, like if a bass amp is on stage but I don't hear it that well in an in-ear or out of my monitor, well, mm-hmm. there's still some sound there. You know, same with a keyboard. You know, if there's an amp or there's other monitors, if it's not working in my in-ears or out of my monitor, I could still kind of hear it well. Whereas, I like, feel all of this stuff is directly inputted right into only in-ear monitors. So, you know, you want to make sure that you could hear everything right and, you know, to only have X amount of time to get a band off and you set up and have your in-ears all... Good to go, and then play in front of a thousand plus people. Uh, yeah, you know, because there's there's probably I think there's like th- th- somewhere between three and four thousand people that go on jam mm-hmm. cruise, and then when you include crew and
0: band members and the yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, cruise, yeah. Line I mean, even crew, if there was just two hundred people, you'd still want to get it right. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you know,
1: just making sure that all of that is good to go. Um, Yes, yeah. you know. But it everything worked out great and we had an amazing time. Everyone was super right excited. Um and then you cut to day three and we were able to get like an hour and a half rehearsal in to kind of just talk over some of those changes so that it it was a little more go with the flow and not having to just like um not take liberties and listen to Jamie conduct in a way of what should go. I I now have a little more freedom of understanding.
0: So you kind of had like a debrief session after a couple different sets to sort of go, okay, this is where we're at. This is what we did. Exactly. This is how maybe we can, where, where where are we at sort of thing? Yeah.
1: And then our second set, we were the first band uh, in the theater that they have, on the on the boat, so we were able to have uh, a little more time to set up and uh, yeah, like a proper yeah, sound yeah, check. Yeah. So it was nice.
0: <laughs> you were
1: like relieved. Oh was, like, yeah, you were totally.
0: Man, that day you're like, I don't have to deal with the, uh, like uh, half like, of the stuff yeah, that I had to deal with. We could show up two I, hours
1: before we got to start. It's amazing. You were there
0: three hours, man. Don't fuck <laughs> with me. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's so cool. To um. So, yeah, so Jam Cruise. So, one more question. So tell me a little bit about um the environment. Did you did you get be able to sit down with some people that you hadn't ordinarily sat down with in the industry and talk to some other musicians or what that look like for you?
1: Uh a bunch of people. I mean, a lot uh-huh. of the musicians there I thankfully have known just from my years of being in different bands and working within yeah. this uh community, but um it was nice especially to have um, people come up to me and be like, you know, you're a perfect fit for this band. You were you were made for this band, and or mm. you know, it sounded just like when Darren was in the band, who's their original drummer, uh, that I was obsessed with as a teenager in my early twenties. Um so to have that kind of feeling from people that have seen this band for the last two decades, like I have, be like you sounded great. And it reminded me of seeing them back in like the mid two thousands or whatever was, was definitely an honor and, and was my goal going into it to bring, to bring what I do to the stage, but also to, you know, I want to, I want to give that, you know, what, what I expect out of the new deal kind of. Uh, so I felt like, I I did what I set out to do by having these musicians mm. that I look up to be like,
0: you know, you crushed it, that was great. That's amazing, dude. That must have felt really great. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I was curious about your involvement in uh Frank Frank Zappa and Frank Zappa's band just cuz I'm kind of obsessed with Terry Bosio. I'm I'm <laughs> from a huge the early days. I'm
1: a huge fan um especially the late 60s, I guess really early 70s uh, when like uh, Chester Thompson and uh, Ralph, I'm blanking on last names right now, but the uh, Um, the Roxy and elsewhere. Ralph Humphrey. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Ralph Humphrey. Um, That period into the Caliuda time period into the Bozio time period and the Chad Wackerman. So really like everything from late 60s through late 80s zappa stuff uh, from a drummer's perspective i've just always been completely obsessed with uh, i shouldn't say always but since my late teenage years um and that's the stuff that was really, you know, talking about loving progressive yeah. rock and fusion and a mixture of all music. Frank was the best at not pigeonholing himself to just one style oh of God. music. It was <laughs> to the like whatever, extreme yeah, side what, like
0: not pitching his whatever he yeah, wanted to compose
1: yeah. to, he was going to do and he was going to put out an album or whatever based around those concepts. Um, and yeah, I mean, I love all that stuff. I've been fortunate to do a few Zappa shows. Um, with Ed Mann, who was Zappa's mm-hmm. percussionist from, I want to say seventy eight to like eighty nine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Were
0: those the ones that um that is doing? Dweez- no, this was way before Dweezil
1: that. played. Uh, at least sat in for some of that time period in the late eighties. Yeah. in the late eighties, he's amazing too. Oh, ab- shit. absolutely amazing. And yeah, I've yeah. we've done uh, I've done some festivals with. Weasel or at the time it was zappa plays zappa before that whole lawsuit thing happened and oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but
0: yeah i i terry bozio though oh, i so good are you, so you are you familiar he had they had an 80s band missing with, persons i think it was his missing person yeah his wife his wife dale yeah uh, um, I'm nobody not, Walks in LA uh, yeah, and I'm other not, songs. I'm but, not
1: super versed on all that stuff, but I've seen a bunch of video footage from that time period when he left Zappa's band so that him and his wife could do this project together.
0: One of the coolest 80s bands oh, from so LA good. was Missing Persons, hands down. I, I don't, I, I, yeah.
1: Yeah, one absolutely. of my favorite all-time inspirational drummers, uh, Josh Freese, Uh, He was hugely inspired by Bozio and Missing Persons and talks a lot about how his you know, dad took him to go see missing persons and they waited until like, he knew like, Oh, they're going to come out this back door and this is like their bus or whatever. And waited <laughs> and talked to Bosio and, and through for years and years to follow, he always talked about how great of a human being Terry was and that he would like call him for advice and various things. And he would always just like pick up an answer. And oh, they, that's so cool. They that's still, so cool. Is, he, is yeah.
0: Terry still around?
1: Yeah. Terry's still around. He's still, um, I've, my knowledge is that he mostly does drum clinic kind of stuff. I don't know how active Uh he is in as like a session recording artist. Um, and then I know, I mean, at this point is probably 15 years ago, but he actually did some shows with Zappa plays Zappa. They they did the black page together.
0: Uh huh. So super cool stuff. Super cool stuff. um, so modern day we've established that scotty is the drummer the, is a higher is, is is somewhat of a hired guy <laughs> and what it takes to do that and how that's become part not only kind of of your like personality and professional persona um much to your credit um let's talk about where Ghostlight is going i i don't know I, I i love ghost light you know that i do um I love what you do in that band. Where what's what's the direction of Ghostlight? Where are you seeing that going? Is that going to be an ongoing kind of uh, band for you? Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, Ghostlight's the first band that I ever joined or was a part of since the very inception of the band. You know, mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about yeah, being a hired gun. Yeah, so it's it's really close to my heart. Not only in that, but more importantly, just musically, there's there's a really deep connection there. Um, I love improvising and working and hanging with Tom, uh, Tom Hamilton. Uh, yeah. it's absolutely Tom's amazing. His middle name is Improv. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and um, <laughs> if you didn't know that, that's a, a you know a, a not widely known widely known fact. Yeah, that, that's-
1: <laughs> <laughs> And you know, Rena's songwriting style I think is very original, uh, especially mm-hmm. for this scene and taking that. Uh, songwriter's Absolutely. approach
0: to it. Not to mention her amazing voice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh and then yeah.
1: having Taylor in the band is just he's such a monster player and he's Crushes. even better person to be around. He's probably like the sweetest human being on the planet. So, yeah, I mean, I uh, we're definitely going to be doing more stuff with that. Um, you know, with Holly leaving the band, we're going to take some time to write some new music and find a new member of the band,
0: and right. find... So there's an open keys position with Ghostlight there right There is now. an open keys position. With and was Holly's... Um, I know you can't speak for Holly, but I, I kind of... She was very vague in the statements that she's made in any kind of public disclosures, but I assumed it was from a family perspective and wanting to spend a little bit more time at home with her son during this time.
1: I, yeah, I think there's a handful of things at play for sure. There's an easy I'm assumption, not gonna, yeah. That I'm not going to go too deep into. But yeah, I, I would... Uh-huh. I would imagine and that it's fair to say on this podcast that, you know, being a mother, you know, first time mother uh, while doing this career, you know, it it's a lot of work. So, yeah, you know, there's there's that for sure. And, you know, I think being in a band, it it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So, you know, and obviously being a parent takes even more. So, yeah. You know, finding that balance can be really, really difficult. Finding the balance of life versus career in this industry without being a parent or being in a relationship in general uh, is hard enough. So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And, you know, we're going to move forward and we know that we're going to find someone who's going to be a perfect fit for this band. And uh, we're really excited to see what the future holds. So,
0: Yeah. Um, How is it different for you from um, just from your own mindset perspective of being uh, involved with Ghost Light from the jump? Like, is that what kind of impact does that have on you in terms of what the feel is and what the environment is and how you're um, how you're sort of shaped from you can shape this band from an organic standpoint? What's your. How is that different for you from other projects? I mean, it's obviously you're not just jumping into this one as a as a hired gun. Yeah. Um, but um, but what impact does that have on you um, being with this band from the beginning?
1: I think the overall understanding of writing music and what your message is and what your goal is in that music versus what we do in a live show sense, and also the importance of how to improvise and the thought processes that you should be going through because you don't want to be thinking about what you're going to play, but there are aspects and kind of like loose rules that we've had. So Mm. to touch on like the songwriting aspect, like we write a certain style of music that is not really jam bandy music. It doesn't have that like, for lack of a better term, bubbly-ness that a lot of, you know, people that write for jam bands kind of have in
0: that sense it's whimsical it's a little bit of a tighter ghost side i would say is like a little bit of a tighter vibe
1: we're more of like a americana if not really like indie rock band that just happens yeah. to improvise a lot and right. and yeah. in the truest uh form i feel like if you have like the uh type one or type two jam if you will the type one being like how jazz musicians back in the day would write where you have your however many bar uh, phrase, let's say even if it's like a blues, 12 bar blues or 32 bars and you just jam on top of that chord structure would be like type one, whereas type two is very free and has nothing to do with the song that you're actually in. And we kind of just use the songs as a roadmap. So Mm -hmm. we know that when we get on stage, we're going to start with the song. That's all that we know when we get up there. And we know that we're going to play the first verse chorus bridge section, and then we're going to go into a jam and that can go wherever. And all we know is that you know, in this last tour, we kind of tried to stick with um, maybe jamming within the song and finishing the Mm -hmm. song. Whereas we used to just, like, there were absolutely no rules, and we ended up having a lot of this song into this section of that song, back into this section, and going into that song. And we wanted to be a little more structured in that, let's improvise, but let's finish a song before, you know, just going into another section of a different song.
0: So are you having the songs on a set list, or is it just that first song, and then you kind of go from there? We have
1: a song list, so we have songs and they're numbered so that we can always call out a number if you can't make out the musical theme or someone mouthing whatever it is that you're going to be playing next that we could be like number five and that's a little bit easier to to notice on stage but yeah we literally go backstage do our thing have our list of songs that we're going to play for the night and then we'll Mm. go uh let's open up with take some time and that's yeah. that's as far as
0: song uh, you know, set list planning goes for us. Right. So, And then it, someone, someone, namely Tom, will take you in a particular direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, anyone can do it. Um, Tom is, without a doubt, I don't think there's any questioning from any sense <laughs> or any no, side of this. No, you're not going to get any argument that, from me, that is. That Tom is, <laughs> that Tom is the, the leader of our band, and he's, and he's really good at doing that. He's good at yeah. pushing us when we need to be and allowing us the liberties to be as free as we want and to be creative. But if it's just not happening... Um, you know, he's good to give a little push or especially like, what's the next song going to be? Although same deal with this last tour, it was no longer a Tom's the leader of that. It was, we go kind of in a circle and Hmm. if Tom's the first person to name a song, then it would go to the other side of the stage to Holly or go to Raina. And then everyone kind of picks what they want to do so that everyone gets a say in that. Um, It is, you know, it has been pretty, Democratic in that sense with this band. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but we trust Tom's leadership, especially uh, his creative leadership. There would be no reason not to follow
0: uh, him. He's got a very creative mind. He does. He does. We talked for about two hours on this show about all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love Tom, and I love hanging out with him, and he's just... A phenomenal, a phenomenal human And amazing musician And I'd love to be in a band with the guy let's just, It's great let's, I'm let's, in two bands I'm, throw th- I'm in three I'm throw actually, that I've there. done
1: like three bands with him But, uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm currently oh, what's the in third two one?
0: What's the third one
1: uh, We did like a trio thing Like me him and his brother uh, Jim Who plays guitar and more uh, yeah. But with Jim on bass um, And we were we were actually supposed to open up For Railroad Earth at the Cap And then the show got cancelled During the COVID time period of things and, oh. and then, so
0: what was that project called? It was just the Tom
1: Hamilton trio. I think it was just, <laughs> I think it was just labeled as Tom Hamilton, but we
0: went out as right. a, as a trio. I got to add that to my org, my Tom Hamilton org chart. Yeah, of yeah. Everything that he's been involved in so I can keep track of all that stuff. Um, yeah, so so what is uh what's on the docket for Ghostlight? Is there any sort of new material? I see like Raina posting new songs from time to time. I'm just always wondering if that's gonna we're work in a, itself in. We're in a creative phase right now of just um, Tom's doing a bunch of writing,
1: Raina's doing a bunch of writing. Uh, I think we're gonna get together and do some group writing. Um, mm-hmm. But everyone's just kind of doing their things. We had a very long, you know, we we started 2022 not only in our first full year of being active again post pandemic but also we started the year losing a band member and we ended the year losing a band member so there's there's definitely a level of let's just like slow down a little bit get our priorities straight find the perfect fit for a new keyboardist in this band write a bunch Mm. of material put out a new record Um, all of that stuff. So like we have peach festival that we're going to do in the summer. There might be some more Mm -hmm. there and, you know, we'll, we'll probably end up doing some stuff in the fall, but it's going to be a relatively light year so that we can focus on putting out new material and having, you know, we're not going to change the band dynamic per se, but we want to have like a nice little neat package of like, this is, this is what the band is, you know, moving forward, meet our, our new member of our band. Here's all this new music. And then 2024 go out and do a bunch of shows, hopefully more than we've ever done before.
0: That'll be great. Yeah. Well, hopefully not killing you and being out there.
1: No, we'll never be. Year. I mean,
0: I when <laughs> I say more than ever good way before, to lose another. Good way to lose another band. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I,
1: I doubt that. What? I doubt this band will ever be able able to physically do more than like eighty shows a
0: year. So yeah, that's good. Um, what was there a commonality? Was there like something about? What was going on like um, that resulted in Dan leaving and Holly leaving that you sort of want to make sure you're clearing the deck for that going forward when a new keyboardist steps in?
1: I mean, honestly, it really just came down like Dan had a a great opportunity to join Thievery Corporation and there was Uh already some scheduling conflicts right out of the gate.
0: So it was, you know, oh, okay. you know So you sort of, sort of knew that was coming I mean, yeah. Taylor's fucking awesome so Yeah, and, and Taylor's
1: absolutely amazing I honestly feel like he's taken the vibe of the band On and off the stage um, As well as, obviously, musically on stage To a whole other level um, yeah. That is just, like, so rewarding You know, especially It's never easy losing a member of the band But right. when you gain someone like Taylor You're like, okay, here we go Let's do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, similarly... like we we talked
0: about Holly. So it's not... So they were were just sort of coincidental kind of things that occurred.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard. You have... When we all have so much going on outside of this band, um, you know, you have to work with everyone's schedules and that becomes stressful. So, you know, you kind of have to do what's best. Holly wanted to spend more time with family and, you know, give her solo career, you know, more of an umph again to go out and do more shows because, mm. you know, Tom's got J rad, but when, you know, we try to work around that as much as possible, um, you know, it only leaves so many days throughout the year to be able to do it. And everyone needs to be on the same page to make that happen. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately this was finally at a moment where everyone was not on the same page. And, uh, everyone's got to do what's best for them, and and then as Ghostlight as a whole, we need to do what's best for Ghostlight.
0: So, yeah, yeah. Well, I assume you're like looking at people and talking to people, and move kind of move. That's moving forward.
1: Yeah, I mean we're we're kind of going in an organic pace. You know, like we're we're ready and have. I'm not going to give anything away, but we've got a we've got someone lined up to do the pe- oh, cool. Peach Festival with us. Uh, if we don't uh-huh. find a permanent member by then, but. You know we're we're kind of doing our thing. It's kind of in the shadows, <laughs> if you will. Right, like right, we don't want to give right. too much away, but we don't want people to think that the band is done with because it's it's not. We're gonna
0: we're gonna be sh- oh cool. That's gonna, good yeah. to hear, man. That's good to hear. Yeah,
1: we're gonna be stronger than ever coming out of this. It's just we needed to like it was a rough year, so we're gonna we're gonna slow things down a bit, be super creative, enjoy everything, and feel you know okay. Let's get back out. We're super excited to go play a bunch of shows again cuz you know, after what we all just went through, you know, it's kind of not always the most motivated to be like, okay, let's just go out and play music even though we feel like we need to um re Find what the band like really wants to achieve, and yeah, you don't want to do that
0: on the fly. You want to figure that out and then kind of move forward in a little bit more of a cohesive way. I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, and we've also yeah, never yeah, been yeah. the type
1: of band to like go out on the road and test something that isn't like eighty or ninety percent finished. You know, when mm-hmm. uh, we we like to have a little bit more of an understanding of like you know it most of the time our music is recorded before we even get out on stage which is also very different in the scene a lot of bands write and test things out on the road and then they like you know work out some of the kinks and then go record it yeah. we like to like work in the studio find something that works and is cohesive and then go out and rip it apart <laughs> in a million directions <laughs> right, right, live, right. and that's and, and what and I probably.
0: love. I, that's what I love about this project. It's kind of like it's it's jammy, but it's sort of almost like an anti-jam jam band yeah. in the sense 100%. of you're you're sort of. I mean, only because maybe only because it's been around only for like five ish years, but you know, you have been moving in kind of the album cycle sort of rhythm, which is which is nice because the albums have been phenomenal. Oh, so, thank you. Um, it's fun to to. To see you and to see Tom and to see Reina in that kind of album promotion cycle and, uh, you know, putting putting a really cool video together when you're all around the table. I think that was The Healing, was that? the Yeah, healing? exactly. Uh, the title track, which was fucking amazing. I wanted you guys to yell louder during the show during that one screaming point, though. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Just to... Just to be honest, that would have been amazing. Uh but no, there if anyone hasn't if you're a Ghostlight fan, go out and see that if not, if you're any fan of music, go out and see this video. It's 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 really great and yeah, you it's get a great. good feel of for how you guys interact too. It was really really fun. But what I guess the point I'm saying is that to see it to see you guys be in um an album cycled like that where you're doing some of the promo stuff is fun for a fan.
1: Yeah, totally. We like to um kind of find more of like a old school mentality of like you put out a record Mm -hmm. and you've got a year, really like 18 months of that album cycle. And then you go back, you go back in the studio and you do it all over again, you know?
0: Yeah. So there are some gems on that album. I'd like to see it to to keep in, keep in the rotation. Oh yeah. Everything, um,
1: everything's going to be there. I think we're just trying to, you know, also have, you know, most, uh, maybe at this point half is Ghostlight and then, you know, the other half is a lot of back catalog of Tom's or mostly Tom's. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. So I think we're also trying to get to a point where, like, we have a lot more of, like, these are Ghostlight tunes, you know? So mm. um, I think yeah. that's also the point of us getting back in the studio, working on this new material and uh, right. and focusing right. on that, as well as all of us um, being able to have more time to focus on other endeavors whether that's write a solo record or play some shows with the New Deal or, or whatever it might be uh, th- right, this right. allows for for that too which is nice
0: yeah sounds like you're in a great place in your in your life right now like um, you know the former gun for hired has found a great band and is kind of seeing this through and 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 has something solid that you can kind of be in and live in, yeah. it feels like. Is that a fair characterization? For sure, yeah. And I'm just uh-huh. excited to... To continue that
1: and, uh, and you know, yeah. maybe that arena tour is, is around the corner. <laughs> uh, that's right.
0: We're not going to forget about that. Hashtag yeah, don't, arena don't, tour. Don't, don't forget about the Scott. arena
1: tour, everyone. If you've got mm. one, just hit me up. I, I might be into it.
0: Yeah. If you're, if you're embarking on an arena tour and you don't have a drummer currently, it's just give Scotty a, you know, <laughs> hit him up. Slide into his DM. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good place. Um, Denver, huh? Talk to me a little bit about that, that move.
1: Uh, I tried to move there like 10 years ago, and when I joined Dopapod, the band was still just focused in the Northeast, especially the New York, uh, between New York and Philadelphia region. Uh Um, And then I met my girlfriend there, and right... Oh, she's from Denver. uh, She's from Texas, but uh, she lived in Denver, and that's where we had met, and then she happened to move out to Philly, uh, and that's where we started dating, and you know you met her in philly i met her in denver um the actually the last and then she
0: happened to move to philly and you were there yeah and
1: (laughs) i would yeah it's it's a long story but we'll leave it at she i'm just
0: trying to get trying to get i know it's a long story we don't need to get super deep into it (laughs) but i'm just trying to get the important points here
1: but ultimately um you know now that i'm in a uh a point in my career where I can kind of live anywhere on the, on the mainland for, you know, Mm -hmm. as long as I'm close enough to a a major airport. Um, You know, when I'm on the road, it gets lonely, you know, not only for if you're on the road, but the people that you leave behind can get very lonely. So to have those like, Friends and connections there, you know, just on her side of things, I think was very important. And then on my side of things, I mean, uh, Denver I is a, yeah, yeah, is no. a you know, it's one of, in the last decade especially, it's grown to be one of the major music markets in the country. I mean, it's definitely existed as a major music market for a long From time. Jam bands. But especially yeah. jam bands, electronic music, um, you know, bluegrass has always kind of been a big staple in that area but yeah within all those subgenres in the jam band scene um it's huge i mean on any night of the week you know especially the thursday friday saturday sunday you know there's like five shows happening um in denver and it's becoming more of like that new york or uh, LA kind of vibe or even new Orleans. And the fact of like a jazz fest situation where like you can go and see multiple shows within an evening, you know, the hardest, yeah, I'm, the really hardest psyched. Part. I'm going to the
0: second week of jazz fest this year. So I'm really psyched. Yeah. It's
1: that. wonderful. The hardest part is like, do I see the beginning or the end or the middle of that show? You know, like that's, right, that, yeah, those yeah, are yeah, the, yeah, there's the always those Sophie's the
0: Sophie's choices of music. Yeah.
1: So it's, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's just, it's great. I have a lot of, uh, friends some of my closest friends people that i've been playing music with longer than anyone live out there right uh and then industry people as well it's just it's uh yeah, yeah and yeah. i'm a big outdoors person so right. you know i've been living in- so
0: there are other factors it's not like because it's, it's a bit of multiple shows multiple shows a night is happening in philly as well but yeah I mean, it's, a, it's a little but different it's, it's, I, I feel like it's a lot the the point you made about your girlfriend not being so like having more of a social network when yeah. you're out on the road. I think that's, uh, you know, that definitely me helps. if I'm wrong, but that seems like a key to this equation.
1: That helps. Honestly, the biggest thing that both of us are into is like, you know, we wanted a little bit of a slower pace. A, a big, a city is is uh, kind of crucial for both of us and in, in our yeah, lives, and our I careers, but, but nature is extremely important to both of us and getting out. And, you know, I love the aspect of, cleaner fresher air and you know a 30 or whatever minute drive into the mountains and to be able to escape a little bit better than philadelphia and also i mean the biggest thing for me is not only did i want to do this years ago but you know i grew up on long island and only about an hour from new york city um and then i've lived in philadelphia for a while now and my professional career in music has been pretty much solely based out of philadelphia Um, Mm. so it's, it was just important for me to get, uh, a change of pace as well. Um, you know, I love Philly. I'll always love Philly. I would not be surprised if I moved back to Philly at some point, but Mm -hmm. I've always been more of a nature, um, slower pace kind of like when I go to a place like Burlington, Vermont, or I go to mountain towns in Colorado, I feel a little more, At home, I think the pandemic also brought a little bit more of a, like, you can feel the vibe of a city. And when people are just like, go, 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 and there's millions of people surrounding you, um, it can be a lot at times, especially I'm relatively empathetic and I feel like not to get too petty, hippy-dippy here, but like I can, we can feel that. that You're taking that on the energy. energy of people Ex- too much. Exactly. That's a
0: fucking lot in New York. Um, I had Indigo Spark on the show, whose um, latest album was produced by Aaron Dessner of The National. Okay. Um, amazing album. Uh, she's an empath. We talked about her moving from Australia to Brooklyn and just walking around, Brooklyn, taking in all this energy of everything that's going on. It's good to get away from that sometimes because it's really hard. Yeah. Really, really
1: hard. I find myself... To- I'm going to be in Philly still a lot and then Denver is a big enough city, but I find myself that even when I live in a major city that every couple mm. weeks or so, if I'm not on the road that I need to like mm. go to some place of solitude and you know have a yeah. a cabin in the the woods in vermont or go stay with some friends that live like on a farm in the middle of
0: connecticut you know i love that i don't know i just personally i don't know if i can commit to that level of non-cityness if you will yeah <laughs> so to be in a city where it's kind of a combo of both like i'm from la that's how i feel in la like if you want to be feel like you're in nature and you're not feeling like you're getting just too too much city you're in your car too much you're driving around too much drive to the beach yeah park find a parking space yeah well that's a thing your shit you and have to go find, sit on the fucking sand you have
1: to drive an hour through traffic to get Depends five, where you to live to get 5 though. miles to then find parking and go uh, um. he's an LA hater okay i, <laughs> I love it. i do I love LA it. you pick
0: Pick the worst fucking scenario and just paint <laughs> that as the picture, dude. No, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big right. fan.
1: I've spent plenty of time in L.A. I love the Hollywood Hills. I love Venice Beach. Yeah. Believe me. I, or live in
0: Chicago when you can then you can have the luxury of being able to like grab a hotel or an Airbnb in Venice Beach without buying a house or living in a condo there yeah. and just visiting it for five days. No, so you I'll, can do exactly what I'll I'm be talking
1: in, about. I'll be in L.A soon enough because the first place i ever imagined and dreamed living as a child when i first got drums and watched that in sync pay-per-view <laughs> special was i need to i need to live in LA and i need to be a musician out in LA so uh, similar yeah. to the denver thing until i until i do it it's always going to be in the back of my head so uh I'm more of a San Diego oh, so person, but uh, but LA is. Yeah, a San
0: Diego's great. Explore. I love um, Ocean Beach. Oh sort yeah, of like Opie and Venice yeah, Beach. Exactly. Venice Beach copy in San Diego to a certain extent without all the gen- the massive gentrification yeah, exactly. that occurred, that is been that has occurred in Venice Beach over the last couple of years. Um, but I'd I, yeah, I love the vibe there. I love San Diego. I've spent a lot of time saying my mom's lived there for 45 years. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah yeah it's it's wonderful i'm um, big have big you been club. to the 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 venue of venice west yeah
1: um what is that in, in venice beach LA? yeah it's I, in ven
0: outside of venice i haven't been there yet i haven't um, um i'm kind of wondering about it it's like a lot of um uh a lot of interesting bands play there. And, um, anyway, just wondered if you had been there, but one of your brethren, um, Jason Hahn lives out in around that area. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go out and hang out with him. And like, he's like the jam band community is amazing here. As he's telling me, I had him on the show.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a production company out there that throws a bunch of shows. I forget if it's the production company or if
0: it's a venue trip,
1: I think is the name of it. Um, that's like in that Venice beach area. But, uh, I'm a big fan. I mean, most of the time I'm out there. I only get to play most of the time Terragram Ballroom, which is yeah. like kinda of in the downtown area. Downtown. And then, uh, right. and then recently in the beginning of the year, we did the Troubadour, which was absolutely amazing.
0: Oh right. Yeah. That must have been fucking amazing. Yeah. God, so what an incredible place.
1: So it's great. Yeah. I, I'm not hating. I, I love I love LA. And I'm a big uh Randy
0: Newman. I love LA the song fan too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff, man. Great stuff uh Wow, Scotty. Thanks for spending so much time and chatting about so many different things and indulging my my questions about you know who you're meeting and what you're doing and we didn't even talk about the buffet on jam cruise, so that'll be that'll have to be for another uh, another episode
1: sure I mean the food is it's okay yeah it's I don't think you need an episode
0: on the buffet at, uh, at jam cruise. I was joking by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, thanks so much for being here, Scotty. You are a gem of a human. I really enjoy—you know—I just enjoy talking to you. And um, and I wish you the best of luck. I think you're—it sounds like you're such in such a great place, and I'm I'm psyched for you because of that.
1: Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to get to chat with
0: you. Yeah, right on, dude. Let's get you in an arena soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll do another podcast right, after that. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. All right, man. Thanks so much for being here, dude. Right, thank you. Have a great day. Right on Okay. That was me and Scotty's Wang having a great long chat. Uh, if you're still around, uh, thanks for hanging in there. I know it was totally worth it. I just had a really great time talking with him. We went in so many different directions. Uh, Scotty's such a, such a great dude. And of course I just love ghost light. I am a big fan of that band and, uh, so glad he does what he does. You know, um, we got so many great backstage vibe stories from Scotty. It was so cool that he was at playing in the sand and at jam cruise and I was joking with Scotty I'm going to send him out to be my roving reporter to go just report back on all the cool stuff that he gets to see and do at festivals and uh it was really great to talk about uh his preparation both from a from a physical standpoint but also from a logistical standpoint and uh the gear and what it takes to get set up and what it looks like uh with different stage environments uh especially outdoors with the wind and uh the now we got the boat moving around as well on jam cruise it was just just all really great stuff that I get super geeked out, uh, about, which obviously you guys, uh, you guys heard. So, um, uh, thanks again to Scotty for doing that. Uh, he's, you know, he's just got such an amazing expertise as a drummer. He's been playing drums since he was eight years old. Uh, the whole bar mitzvah, uh, picture. You've guys got to look that up. If you're Scotty's Wang fan, just, uh, look up Scotty's Wang on, uh, uh, and put it Scotty's Wang and modern drummer. And you'll see that picture of him, uh, that he posted that he had at his bar mitzvah of him on the cover of modern drumming magazine. That's just absolutely a classic, but you know, he collaborates with so many different, uh, individuals and bands. Um, and, uh, you know, he said he played with the new deal that he'd been admiring for so, so long and got to play with them in jam crews when the drummer had, couldn't be at that particular, uh, at that particular gig because he was with Lotus at the time. And then Scotty got to step in and was able to do that. It's just those kind of things that are just absolutely amazing and this industry that and uh that Scotty was there to take advantage of that is just amazing. You know, he said like he wants to play uh and he wants to stay as busy as possible, that um that he's been on the be able to go out on the road with his favorite musicians uh because he's just uh talks to people and networks. And you know, he says that you need to have talent, but it's really about the connections, you know. So he's just out there meeting people, uh continuing to work and just exuding that kind of calm, uh, cool and relaxed vibe that that he has, and uh evidence with the new deal thing their manager called up while he was at playing in the sand and asked Scotty if he wanted to come on jam cruise and play with them and it's those kind of things that happen it's just uh, just really really cool and amazing and that Scotty revealed that kind of his big goals are like play drums at Madison Square Garden or some major arena tour uh i I know that's going to happen for him, and it's just really great uh to get that. Uh, vibe and to understand where musicians come from, and you know, talk about Scotty's roots from on Long Island, and you know where he came from, and growing up as a drummer, and who he admired, and now you know he's kind of just doing the thing, and I, I really love that, and you know I'm a big fan of of his music and what he does and what he brings to the equation, and of course with Ghostlight and uh, and Tom Hamilton in that band, uh, it's just a wonderful band, and I was so so psyched and honored to have scotty here and uh was really uh, he was really generous with his time uh thanks to, to you all for hanging in here and for your continued support of Roadcase, which means so much to me and i'm so psyched to bring you these interviews and we got so many great and amazing interviews coming up as well and next week i'll be at south by southwest checking out new bands and new artists to bring to Roadcase and other things and i'm just so psyched for that thanks again for being here and i want to send a special Shout out and thank you to the amazing Scotty Zwang of Ghostlight for being here on this episode of Road Case. <music> Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Roadcase Pod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road.